0: Welcome back to From Start to Scale with Alex Newman, where founders, CEOs, sales leaders, investors, and the best of the best share their strategies and tactics, how they scaled their business and broke through the next level. Hear what worked and what didn't so you can avoid critical mistakes and scale your business. Now let's get into it. Today's guest is David Cohen, founder and chairman at Techstars, the worldwide network that helps entrepreneurs succeed. First round investor in twenty plus unicorns like Uber and Twilio, DigitalOcean, and a bunch of other ones. An all-around awesome guy and expert skier. Excited to have you here. Welcome to the show.
1: <laughs> don't don't lie to people about the skiing, Alex. Maybe you're referring to my thirteen-year-old. He's pretty yeah, young. okay. I, I'm I'm clearly from Florida when you see me ski. So, <laughs> all right, we won't say that you live in in Boulder
0: now. So, where I would love to start is really at the beginning of TechStars. You'd been angel investing for a little bit, and curious, kind of where where did the idea come from, and and how did you go from initial idea to just initial MVP?
1: Yeah, I, so you know, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life, and I had had some success, some luck as an entrepreneur, and I started angel investing, as you said, and I made I don't know six or eight angel investments. And pretty quickly thought, oh, man, this sucks. <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know, it was tough to find, as you mentioned, I live in Boulder, Colorado. It was tough to find a lot of deals here, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So that meant, you know, getting on planes and going places and trying to find deals. And it's hard to, you know, build network. And then when you finally did find a company to invest in, it was less than satisfying, I would say. You know, you would, you would write a check, you get excited about it. And then not hear from them for a year until guess what? They needed more money. And that's when they would reach back out. And and that just didn't feel great. I didn't feel like I was hands-on enough. Didn't feel like I had enough, you know, value to add or couldn't, couldn't do that well in that mode. So this idea for Techstars came, you know, very simply from the notion of, of one wanting to make Boulder where I live, it's a town of a hundred thousand people in Colorado a better startup community. I just I just wanted there to be more stuff here. And two to to create, you know, maybe a better way to do angel investing that would work better because my experience had been this is, you know, this angel investing thing is a great way to turn like a medium sized fortune into a really small one if you do it a lot. And that didn't seem like a good outcome. So wanted to find a way that was more effective and that would make the startup community better over time. So I had this this idea of this mentorship driven thing. At the time we hadn't coined the word accelerator yet. My co-founder, Brad Feld, would coin that word a few years later as these things started to become, you know, a little more common or popular. Really just wanted to to create a program that would invest a small amount of money and time and make the community better and bring things to to me or to us to invest in. And it sounded like a really fun thing to do in the summer once in a while, you know, once a year or something like that. So that's when I went and pitched Brad Feld and a few others to get together and to create Techstars. So that story is Brad, you know, had open office hours. He was doing 15 minute back-to-back meetings all day long with random people like me that he'd never met. David Brown, who had been my co-founder in previous companies and I had this general idea. So I walked into this 15minute meeting and and told Brad about this idea for tech stars and he said I'm in as long as you're not a crook or a flake we just met and uh, just like that just like that he said I'm in I mean we were putting in our own money and yeah. he said yeah I'll, I'll put some money in and you know help out with us this. this sounds great And that meeting ended in 10 minutes. So with five minutes left, I said, thank you very much, and left and gave him time to, you know, get ready for his next meeting. There you go. And uh, we spent some time making sure that I wasn't a crook, I guess, in his mind, and that this was legitimate. I think he's still trying to figure out if I'm a flake. I don't know if we're there 15 years later, but today Brad is still on the board. And Jared Polis, our fourth co-founder, who's our governor now, isn't super active with us, but he's you know been involved since the beginning as well.
0: So you get, you get, uh, so David, your co-founder from before Brad and Jared, the four of you guys all sync together and how, how did you go from, you know, Brad saying, I'm in, you kind of have this idea to like, what does the first version of, you know, a, a mentor driven program type thing? Like, what does that even look like in Boulder?
1: Yeah. So we, the money that the four of us put together for year one was $240,000. That was our one-year operating budget. know it. (laughs) So very bootstrappy. That would include the original funding amount. It's since since gone up a lot, but the original funding amount was $12,000 per company. So, you know, half of it was to invest in the companies. We would do 10 companies in a class. And the other half was essentially to pay for office space or, you know, what would later become known as demo day or things like that. That cost actual money, but we got you know got some people to give us some office space. The MVP was a little bit of money, and we put together about fifty mentors. Minimum viable product. If you don't know that phrase, I'm sure you do. But fifty mentors, and we said, hey, we have twelve thousand dollars on offer. That's enough for you to move here for three months and get a place to live and and soak in the mentorship and the network. And we started talking to people in the community that had built successful companies and had you know amassed some wealth. Or who wanted to give back and, and help the next generation, and we assembled these mentors who would essentially be our marketing, right? Like, hey, tell everyone you know, and we're going to use your your face on the website and use it to attract companies. And opened applications, and, and you know, for, for the summer of two thousand and seven, which was the first program. And lo and behold, three hundred and two crazy companies applied. And we, uh, long story short, we picked ten of them. You know, I would travel around and meet them in, in airport food courts, you know, just off the plane, and then go back home. Yeah. And I, you know, we it's picked the ten. Back then, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, picked, we didn't have to leave the airport; that was nice. Yeah. We picked ten companies, we funded them up, and we we spent the summer with them. And and we were really blown away that that three of them were acquired within a year through the network connections, and and we had made money. So we had a budget for year two. And over time, seven of them would be acquired. One of them is still operating today and is quite a large company. Wow. And a couple of them failed. So we we quickly were like, wow, this this model could be really powerful and obviously scaled from there.
0: So when you're talking to these mentors, I mean, you're reaching out to successful people who are in Boulder or maybe just from wherever you guys had networks in. How do you, what, what does that sound, what does that pitch look like to say, hey, I'm going to start a company and I need you to come over and give all your knowledge for free. You don't know anything about us. You have no proven track record. Like how do you get somebody like that to go, yeah, I can do that. I'll spend a couple hours with you.
1: Yeah, so the acronym we used to use is FOB, Friend of Brad. Ah. Um, And So this is why we went to Brad and, and ultimately Jared, because David and I were relatively unknown. We had a successful company that we had sold and were angel investing, but people didn't really know us, certainly not nationally and so brad really put that network together and the first story of that is when he called jared the other person that that co-founded with us and he said hey jared i just met this guy you know i spent 10 minutes with him he's starting an investment thing you should mentor and you should put some money in and jared said okay i mean that's how it worked right he didn't really even know what it was when he said okay and so you know the initial network and it has good sides and bad sides, right? It w- was, was friend of Brad. It was people that he had met in the community, invested in, done work with that he knew were good people. And you know they just figured, oh, it's, it's gonna be something fun to engage with in the summer. It sounded like a relatively late lift. They're already mentoring some companies that are randomly emailing them. So why not mentor some good ones okay. and do it together? That was the pitch and And of the fifty or sixty people I talked to, only one asked me what was in it for them uh and we didn't we didn't work with that person, but they you know there was one that said, "You yeah, know what do I get out of this? Do I get paid?" Everyone else is just like, "This sounds great. you know it'll make the community better, maybe I find a job, maybe I find a thing I can invest in, and it'll be some fun, and we'll make some new friends." Interesting.
0: Is this so is this all in Boulder, kind of Boulder Denver area? I know Brad's network stems back to to kind of the Boston area. Are people flying in for this or is it just kind of the, the Boulder community? Just I mean, I lived there for a couple of years and everyone yeah. just is, is just the nicest, everyone wants to help, everyone gets it.
1: It was ninety percent locals, but you know, Jeff Clavier from Uncork uh, at the time Soft Soft Tech Capital flew in that first year, Howard Lindzen some guy named Dave McClure who would eventually start 500 startups flew in that first, you know, he, he sort of, you know, saw it and sort yeah. of mentorship lens and ended up starting 500 a, a couple of years later. I remember Ben Kaznoka from village, capital also showed up. So there were some people that were, you know, early and doing other things in their career that were coming from out of town as well through the network that, that we awesome. had.
0: So you get the mentor side, now you got a little bit of credibility. I mean, Brad gives you some credibility. You get some of these other mentors, and you get 300 companies applying to something that has never existed before. Yeah. And want to move to, I mean, Boulder is a beautiful place. I live there. I, yeah. I know why. But h- how did you get these companies to say, hey, we're going to give up equity? And all we're going to take is $12,000 and some mentorship, which yeah. mentoring is a, you know, is a concept at the time that people are like, oh, you should go get mentoring and advising. And other but it wasn't really the formal structure that it is today or is well known. What what was that like? I mean, are people questioning you or are people like, hey, is this for real?
1: Yeah, they, you know, there's the economic question is people do the math and they say, I mean, again, today the numbers are totally different. But Back then it was a very small amount of money. And they say oh you know you're only valuing the company at a couple hundred thousand dollars or whatever and that that's true from the perspective of just doing math but if you think about you know if you had the chance to co-found a company with these 50 people who were going to be there and be active and you know not only invest money but actually try to help you get it off the ground if you think of them as a co-founder does that affect how you think about it? so we sold ourselves as a co-founder still do today And that's one of the big reasons why Techstars invest with common stock and not preferred stock like most investors do. So we only get paid when there's an outcome where the founders get paid, right? So it's not that our money comes back first or anything like that. And so that's the positioning a co-founder would take, right? So if you could bring somebody in for 6% that had this kind of network and this kind of experience, would that be worth it? People start thinking about it differently. So... It's how you position that early on that I think made a difference for us. We made a bunch of cheesy videos and, of course, having the mentors involved and having it look like a fun and interesting place to be and thing to do. That all helped because people are attracted ultimately to network as well as capital. But, yeah, those pioneers took a chance to be sure.
0: Were there any hypotheses that you made at that early stage that you learned during your MVP were wrong?
1: probably i'm trying to think what they were i mean i'm sure there were something it's been, it's been a few years i i think i think it we didn't do enough early on i think to i don't know almost game the system right some of our competitors would would fund things are already large companies as a way to get like a a quick win right and say oh you know we invested in this thing even though they invested when it was you know billion dollar valuation it's just marketing we, we didn't do that stuff we weren't very good at marketing especially early on and really didn't spend any Time thinking about it other than just kind of this word of mouth and the website. So I think, you know, I wish we would have spent more time on that. And I think, you know, it, it probably would have been good to invest more money because we had a lot of winners. still still have a lot of winners, but early on, you know, we could have had more ownership. We didn't have much capital around the system back then.
0: So you have one cohort, your first program. Are you leading this? Or who, who's the first person that's leading this? And, like, how, how do you set up the entire actual, like, program initially?
1: Yeah, so in year one, the four of us are thinking about it, but I'm the only person, you know, full time on it. And so I was what we call the managing director and, you know, also washed the bathrooms and, you know, did everything else. So, you know, it was just me and went for about a year that way until again we got that first result and realized oh this this could actually work and you know, maybe we could hire a few people and so you know it, w- it was learning on the fly i mean i had been an angel investor and i, I loved sort of teaching the things that i had learned in, in my experiences and i think one of the things that really helped is i was also very comfortable still am today saying i don't know i don't have any experience with that that's what led me to go get the mentors because I knew I didn't know everything. I I wasn't going to be the guru that could tell you, you know, what to do in every situation, right? And so that was really important because it enabled us to have kind of this mentor network, which today, as you said, we describe it as the worldwide network that helps you succeed. We have 8,000 mentors today, right? And almost as many alumni, if not more alumni now. That network has become a huge part of it. And I think that, that mentality of like, it's not, it's not just me. I'm the smartest person in the world. It's the community working together to make these investments and make the community better over time and that, that's where the power really was. Interesting.
0: So you walk, you go through this program, you're leading the program, you got these companies, you get, all of a sudden you get a couple of successes. And then what what does step two of that process really look like because you're running this out of boulder like what does step two look like because you ended up going i mean obviously now you're in a bunch of different places all around the world but you went from boulder you went to seattle you went to boston you went to new york like you went to a bunch of the kind of the major cities what was it looking like leading up to the expansion into other places
1: yeah so for context, I mean, Techstars today is is an investment business, really the largest or one of the largest pre-seed investors in the world. We'll, we'll make 800 investments this year. So we've scaled up quite a bit and, and we operate in you know, dozens of, of cities and I think about 20 countries. So it's very global at this point. But at that moment in time, we had run one program and I think Brad and, and Jared and David and I sat around and said, okay, that might be a fluke. We might've gotten lucky. Let's do it again. Right? I mean, it's house money now and so we did it again and we did it in boulder in 2008 and had a very similar outcome and had a lot of fun doing it it was still you know more or less was able to take nine months a year off and do other things because it was just once a year in one place and i think when we saw that that it was repeatable you know that second year we had companies like daily burn iac bought it pretty quickly you know there were companies that were that were starting to be acquired again within a year it's like, okay, this thing has legs. That's when we kind of started to, after year two, we started to think about where else would we want to go. But more importantly, we started to experience what we call pull. So we had inbound from three or four places in year two of, hey, I see what you're doing. I want to do it here in my community. And that pull is something that, that we paid attention to. You know, it, it was like, okay, the market wants this thing that we're doing. And at first it was from Boston. So Brad also had a pretty big network in Boston. He had gone to MIT. There was one particular person who was showing up in year two in mentoring named Bill Warner. Anyone who's ever edited a video and used a video editing timeline can say thank you to Bill Warner. Uh, Avid Technologies, he created that concept. He was coming to Boulder and mentoring. He's like, we have to have this in Boston. Uh, Coincidentally, there was another outfit called Y Combinator that had just left Boston we launched about a year after they did. And so there was a a gap in Boston. And, you know, Bill said, I'd like to fund this. I'd like to put people, let's bring this to what you're doing is better because you're including the whole community and you're not doing this like guru thing. You're doing, you know, engagement of the whole community and you're you're, you're trying to focus on the startup community and you want to be part of that. And so I went to Boston and I spent the weekend with Bill Warner and, and got to know him. And we raised some money that weekend to do a, a Boston program. So he just put me in front of some of his friends. And, and again, we were funded for our second location. This pull repeated itself uh, in places like Seattle and New York and then with corporations even that wanted us to come. And we just started to develop a little bit of a playbook, like, oh, okay, we need a Brad, some notable venture capitalist in the community We need a David, some crazy person that's going to spend his time doing this. Right. And then we need a bunch of mentors. And so that was the model that we started to roll out to these locations. And within, you know, by year five, I think we were in three or four locations. Yeah. So slowly, surely kind of building the playbook to, to grow a little bit.
0: So that's interesting. So all of a sudden you're moving from this one location to multiple locations, but are you still putting your own money in? Plus are, are you at the point where you're raising money outside of the four of you yet? I mean, you have Bill Warner, oh, as a, as yeah. part of the Boston area, but for, for Boulder, like when, when did it start to say, Hey, I'm raising elsewhere?
1: Well, this is the early model, right? So, I mean, today our, our capital is it's over a billion dollars of institutional capital that, that we've raised to, to deploy this way. And obviously worth a multiple of that now, but you know, today it's, it's, it's large institutions, you know, endowments, universities, treasuries that, that fund uh, what we do through our funds as an investment. And, and it's structured, you know, more centrally today. Back then it was city by city because we were just reacting to that pull. And I think, I think that's an important thing, right? People listening, like you can push and go and try to sell the thing you do into markets. But I always look for pull. I always look for someone, you know, saying, Hey, we want you to do this here. And when they show up with money. And they say we're ready to go that's worth paying attention to so as we as we grew you know past 10 or 20 locations today i think we're 55 or 60 locations in the world you know we started to centralize that capital and and institutionalize it over time
0: so i would imagine one of the one of the biggest lifts is you're doing this initially you're running the program yeah and now you're going to a bunch of different locations. So now you're really working on the business to be able to expand to these locations. So you're probably not able to run all. You're not, you're not running the Boulder pro- program and then flying to Boston to run that program. Like, how did you figure out who to hire in order to, I mean, that's a lot of trust in someone to be able to say, hey, we're going to be kind of your guide through this. We're going to, you know, source a bunch of different mentors. I mean, obviously you're helping through that yeah but how did you figure out that kind of like non-founder like next next couple of hires
1: yeah so we made a really or i guess i made this is just really just me and the business back then full time a, a really fortunate decision to hire a woman named nicole Glaros. i had met nicole just prior to starting tech stars she was involved in an organization that was you know angel investing organization in denver uh, that i had had sort of joined and, and you know made a few investments through. And I just clicked with her, right? She was just super smart and curious about what we were doing. And in the I think it was the second or third year, basically hired her. I didn't really know what she would do, but I I, I just have always had this mentality I call awesome people collection mode. When you're growing businesses, you just need to collect a bunch of awesome people. And she seemed awesome. So at first it was very part-time and she was just kind of tracking my angel investments and then tracking the data around the tech stars, you know, investments. By that time we had made 20 investments over two years. And so you kind of had to track them and understand where they were. We weren't reporting to anybody outside the four of us, but we wanted still to know, you know, how are they doing and what's the status and how can we help? So she was kind of organizing that. So the third year we ran the Boulder program, you know, I said to Nicole be great to get some help running this thing too. You you have more time. And so she went full-time and we basically were managing director of that 2009 program jointly. And, you know, it turned out that's the year that we would have, you know, for example, Syngrid, right, which would later be the first ever IPO of any accelerator to come out of any accelerator anywhere. So that was a great class. And, and then the year after I just transitioned it totally to her. So, we kind of got this model like, okay, the Brad and the David. Well, Nicole is, is another David, right? She's someone that could run this program in the playbook. What are you looking for? Someone with who, who's a good super connector, uh, someone who knows how to leverage a network around them. They, they sort of part-time camp counselor feel, right? Because you you got all these entrepreneurs that need help, good generalist coach. And Nicole was one of those people. So, you know, we started to model these managing directors that we would hire early on after that, like someone who could do those things. And then, you know, I was able to kind of be CEO of the thing, uh, which as you know, that means just get out of the way and let the awesome people do the stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's all about just don't run out of money and hire great people, set the vision. And, you know, somewhere in there, maybe the first three or four years, I set this vision that one day we could have 30 programs. And I think the five Mm -hmm. or six people that were involved then in were just like, what, you're crazy. We could never have 30. Now we're doubling that, right? Yeah. So Nicole Nicole was the prototype and Nicole would actually later move to places like Texas and New York for three months at a time and help get programs going. I would do the same, right? So we'd, we'd early on use a lot of our own personal time and energy, uh, but then eventually we sort of, you know, created this playbook that we could throw down on the desk and say, this is how you do all these things.
0: It's interesting because when when you hire Nicole, it's you are running the program with her. So it's kind of this like, you know, manager, individual contributor essence type type role where you're you're showing her, she's seeing it, then she takes over and do it. And then for the Boston and and New York and some of the other locations, I mean, I remember when we went through Techstars 2011, 2012, something like that. I remember it was it was all Nicole. And then I moved to New York and Nicole also moved to New York and she ran one of the programs there. And so it's funny how it works, but how did you, you had the profile of the person that you were looking for in New York and in Boston and Seattle and these different places. Were, Were you flying there and doing that kind of same playbook as like you would run it, they would watch, then you kind of said, all right, let me take a step back and then you run it and I'll kind of watch you or, you know, I'll pop in and out here and there.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, in 2011 in New York, you know, I, I moved there for three months and we had a TV show on Bloomberg, right? Called tech stars. And, and, you know, so it's fully documented. David Tish is sort of learning. We're doing it together. And then I move home and, and now the person knows how to do it. So it was kind of a brute force growth model. Like we didn't have training. We didn't have playbooks. We didn't have repeatability, but, but we knew that if you send someone that had done it before, The ethos will transfer and those values were really important, right? Things like give first, that we talk about all the time. It's just a way of doing business, you know, be helpful to entrepreneurs, don't ask for anything in return. And we had to make sure that as we brought mentors in or as alumni came in, that they weren't asking for things, right? So, so big part of going there was to make sure it got off to the right start. I did that in London in 2012. I moved there as well, but that wasn't scalable. And we learned that pretty quickly. So that's how we did the first, you know, six or eight, but then we centralized the training and and sort of built more playbooks around it.
0: So based on those first initial kind of MDs that you hired, I bet there was a, a massive learning as far as moving out of just Boulder and going to all of these different places, what are some of those initial learnings, whether it's from just who the MD is or or how the programs change as far as being run, not in Boulder. Like what are those kind of takeaways that you got?
1: Yeah. Well, every, every geography has its own, you know, local flavor, right. And, and customs in some cases. So, you know, some of the early growth, we started running programs with corporations. We ran programs with Microsoft, I think, starting around uh, 2010, 2011, something like that, not only was it Seattle. It it was in the context of a large corporation. So culturally things are just different. 2012 London, legally, things are different. Structurally, things are different. Certainly cultures are different. You know, the idea that someone would mentor for free in 2012 in London was like, what, who would do that? So a lot of people said, what's in it for me, it's different today. And that's why it's evolved as a great startup community. Um, so a lot of it's was just cultural and, 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 our model of scale, where we chose to go to the places and participate in those communities, that stuff mattered. And then I mentioned values, you know, there were several people that we hired that were really strong contributors, but non values aligned long-term. And those are the hardest people to have to say goodbye to, but you have to, right. Yeah. You really have to protect the values and, and the brand, because, um, that's ultimately who you are and how you'll be perceived in the market. So, you run into difficult things with people and and sort of culture and location.
0: Well, I would imagine that being able to go to these different places, I mean, Boulder, you initially had Brad, right? You had this network, you go to Boston, you had Brad's old network and you are now becoming more and more known. You have a little bit of a track record from your first few programs. Are you looking for like an MD that has this track record. I know part of the playbook was to find this, this VC who like a Brad in New York or a Brad in you know, in in different cities, but are you, are you looking for this specific profile and, and how long does that take to really uncover? Cause you're, you're kind of, you're kind of spearfishing like a really tiny little, little dot there.
1: It's a small pond. Yeah. We're, we're, we're still evolving the yeah. profile. You know, we, we have now, I think 55 managing directors and the investment team's a hundred people, right? So we're still tweaking that, but, but fundamentally it's, it's always been, you know, someone who's been an entrepreneur is the managing director. Um, that, that operating experience is really important because y- you, know, you, you came to the program, right? You, you wanted your MD to have some experience, to have some, network as well, but, but to be able to talk from experience and and sort of empathize with you is really important. Um, so they're probably not just a, a pure, you know, VC at a later stage. Maybe they've done a little VC, but they're probably more likely an entrepreneur. Maybe they're angel investing because they've had some outcomes. We always used to say, we like it when they've had at least one, win and at least one loss, right. Because they've seen all of that and they're humble enough to know Mm -hmm. that everything doesn't just work. Um, and they have to have some of these, you know, camp counselor, like, you know, attributes, they have to, they have to be able to motivate a group, be likable, and they have to be motivated to be, you know, sort of an investor. I think ultimately, they're deploying capital and the goal is to get a return. So they have to want to be a part of, of company creation as well.
0: How much were you involved in selecting the actual companies in the various cities? And at what point in time did you release kind of your, your control over that?
1: Yeah. So we, from the beginning, we, we thought really that's the role of the managing director. Yeah. And that surprises people, right? Cause you imagine this like really rigid investment committee, <laughs> you know, we, we would essentially just approve, right? So Andy Sack in Seattle would try to select companies and he'd, he'd come and say, here are the 10 I want to pick. And Pretty much generally, we'd say, sounds great. You know, if you spend time with all of them, you really like the people, because it's very much about the people at that stage and not the idea. But we we tried to, to not be overly controlling of that because we thought it was a feature, not a bug, to have the people who are closest to the entrepreneurs making the decision. Now, we have rules. You know, you couldn't fund, you know, a weapons company or a porn <laughs> company or something like that. Yeah. And but But early on, we had to deal with this idea, well, what if we've already funded a similar company? And very early on, we said, that's fine. Just disclose it to them. You know, we want to be this larger thing and that's going to happen. So we can't guarantee that there won't be any conflict in the portfolio. Today with 3,300 companies, it certainly exists. Right. But but we didn't, yeah, by design, we really didn't want to hang on to that. So the answer is whatever I was the MD for, I was picking. And then Nicole became the MD in Boulder and she was picking or the people in the different cities were picking with a little bit of oversight, but not a lot.
0: That's interesting. Did you did you ever get to the point where you question that? Because I feel like one of the things is, you know, in, in the beginning days, this is your money. And, and over time, obviously, you get to the point where it's more institutional. So you're a little bit further removed, but you obviously are getting some, some wins under your belt. But to be able to invest capital that you are raising or your own money, that's very challenging to just say, this other person you get to pick the companies that we actually invest in
1: right it it turns out that people who give you money want to know who's making the decision to invest that money and our answer is hey there's 55 of those people and here's what they look like and and sometimes they even come and go right and the system is more important than any one person and so we have to convince our capital partners of that and there's a little bit of friction there now the mythology of venture capital is that you've got these people that have these amazing crystal balls and they they know everything and they you know, look into their crystal ball and they say, oh, the future is like this. And they pick, a, you know, and, and really a big part of venture capital is the, the firms that survive are the ones that got lucky early on. <laughs> right? I mean, that's the reality of it. There's the old phrase, it takes 10 years to kill a venture capital firm because you don't know if they got lucky yet. Right. And I was convinced that we were on the right track when I would see, uh, for example, Andy Sack in 2011 or 12, he had three unicorns in a class of 10 companies no prior experience in doing this, but he, he met the people, he ran the playbook. We were seeing all of our, all of our big winners were distributed geographically. So we were getting into things because we were participating in those communities and had local presence. And so I've, I've always been convinced that it's the right model. Now, as we've scaled, again, there is some portfolio construction. We don't want Ninety-eight percent, you know, Web three tokens in our portfolio. <laughs> like that's not that's not the distribution we want. We might want five or ten percent of that. Mm-hmm. Same with fintech or any other. So today we have these fifteen practice areas, and we try to balance the portfolio intentionally that that's way.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I would imagine, yeah. Over time, you're like, okay, we don't want to be too concentrated because you could have entrepreneurs or MDS that are essentially picking all fintech SaaS. You know, yeah. Something.
1: But we, we try to understand the focus or the expertise of each MD, and some of the programs, as you know, become verticalized. So we have fintech-specific or healthcare-specific programs intentionally to create that balance. Have
0: you – I mean, TechStars has, has now, in, in all these different countries, and we talked a little bit about this pull strategy. When do you turn around and use your push strategy? cuz yeah. you're saying hey I go to these different places, you know Bill Warner says hey you need to come to Boston, Tish is out in New York, Andy's out in Seattle, like all these great people are starting to pull you but at some point in time all of them stop being MDs and you have to replace them with new MDs and it means do you stay in those cities? Do you try how do you find the next next person? But like at what point in time is the the pull not enough? You need to actually turn around and say let's start pushing
1: Yeah. So I think, I think pull is a great indicator that you have product market fit, right? That that people really want what you have. They want you to come to them or or work with you. And you feel that you're not having to go outbound to like convince someone that this is interesting. Once you get that and that's repeatable, then I think you can push. Right. And so that's why I like to say, you know, I I think pull comes before push because people force go to market strategies. They think they have product market fit. And they spend a lot of money on sales leaders and sales teams and, and push, 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 and then people don't want to buy that thing. Right. So if you sort of develop the product and repeat the product until you you're feeling this sort of inbound, you know, laser beams coming after you to pull you into whatever people are doing all over the world, that's how you sort of know, okay, I could push if I wanted to. Yes. And that was the the model we were using at that time. So I think we did four or five where it was very obvious. We even had to start a thing called the Global Accelerator Network and spin it out because so many people wanted us to come. We couldn't come to all those places to teach them how to do it. You know, you know, so we were just feeling this massive inbound. And then we began to hire our first sales leaders, right? Our first salespeople go out in the world and talk to other corporations that might want to do this, other limited partners that might want to invest in this, become more intentional about where we want to go next, as opposed to just wherever the pull is coming from.
0: So when that starts to happen, how involved are you in that? I mean, you're talking about hiring salespeople. You you have a specific pitch, you have a specific, you have this, you have the story. Obviously there's Nicole and Andy and all these people who've kind of been there early on and they have their own kind of story that they've developed and aligned with your vision over time as well, you know, as Brad and, and Jared and everybody. But at what point in time, like, how, how does, how does that actually happen to be like, Hey, we're going to hire some of these people and they're going to say, Go to Target and go to Microsoft and go to Qualcomm and go to all these different places and see if they would be interested in doing this too to to kind of join with that push strategy.
1: Yeah, so we're investors and that's how we make money. You know, we're, we're not selling software or SaaS or something like that, right? We invest money and then we hopefully make more money than we invested over time while helping entrepreneurs succeed, which is our mission. And you know really that's always the first criteria right so the salesperson comes and says you know i don't know why i always pick on timbuktu but i've got a great thing in timbuktu you know investing in monkey wrenches and we'd say well that's not an investment we want to make so we had a small group of people and i was one of them brad david others early on that were sort of the filter on opportunities because the salespeople didn't really know in the beginning, they were just reacting to whatever seemed like the easy sale. And there were plenty of places early on that are places that we are now that we're saying, come, we just weren't ready to go to, you know, some far flung place, you know, like we weren't ready to go to Melbourne today. We're in Melbourne. We love Melbourne, Sydney too, right? So Australia, but back then we didn't have the capacity to do it. So, we were filtering it, you know, when someone like a Microsoft comes along and says, you know, we want to invest in human computer interaction and hand gestures, that sounds like a compelling thing that we want to put our money behind and our time and energy. The Microsoft brand will attract startups. They have connect technology. We're interested in this type of investing thesis. So, so let's go do that versus let's not go build monkey wrenches in some random place. So it's pretty, pretty straightforward thinking like an investor. And we said no to about 90% of the opportunities in the early days. That's interesting.
0: What point did you feel like you were ready to say yes? Because I would imagine that switch is kind of like, once you, once you go. The um,
1: door's open. Yes and no, I, I, I think we flipped the switch and said we're ready and let's, you know, Kevin was our first salesperson came in and we hired a little team. But we we put limits on it, right? We said, we think we could do four, you know, this year. And then the next year we think, well, we could do six or eight, you know? So we always knew that we, I mean, it it on some level there's a service element, you've gotta go there, you've gotta hire a team, you've gotta train them, it takes time. You gotta open applications, create infrastructure, build mentor groups. So you're limited by that. And so again, you know, we're, we're investing a dollar to get $10 back, right? So we, we could think about it in that way and you know even today you know we will grow from you know 50 to 65 you know locations in one year so we're still somewhat limited by that and there's still way more demand than, than we could possibly meet but we believe the opportunity is so big that we could be in every you know every real size city in the world someday and helping build that startup community but yeah you you do have limits on what you can do in a model like this so we just we just try to pick the best opportunities interesting
0: no it's i could see it going to to all the every every decent sized city in in the world when you go go taking a couple of steps back so you start to expand to kind of your initial core cities and you go through a couple of rounds of programs and you're starting to see some success how is the growth starting to happen i mean the initial you know these initial 300 companies came in and now all of a sudden you're getting more and more companies that need to go to every single one of these programs so the programs can be semi looked at as kind of competing against each other because if people are flying into boulder or new york or boston but how are you looking at it and saying one which program do you pick but overall like how do you continue to get the word out that all these startups should choose tech stars or even think about tech stars when they're starting their company well, how, what does that distribution
1: look like yeah it, it definitely became a challenge because you know you you could imagine like different managing directors fighting over the same company to come to their geography so we put a lot of energy into sort of this notion of one tech stars when you apply to tech stars today you just apply to tech stars and you can say you know these are my preferred geographies but you basically get a coordinated offer and a coordinated you know sort of set of outreach so it Ultimately, you know, I think we had to put ourselves in the shoes of the customer, the entrepreneur, and think, you know, hey, this might be confusing for them, right? And just try to simplify and have them have a better experience with tech So we're always trying to improve that because ultimately that is our customer, is the entrepreneur. Growth for us, and if you ask us, you know, what are your sales, it's sort of meaningless. I mean, we, we do sell partnerships and things like that, but really our revenue on an annual basis is our investment returns, right? Right. We make money from fees, managing capital for other people and from performance fees when that capital performs, just like any investment business. (laughs) And so assets under management is really our revenue like metric, right? It's how much capital are we adding to the capital stack? How much capital are we managing in total? And how is that growing? Uh, so really there's, there's a whole other set of relationships, which are with these limited partners. The people that invest the capital in our funds that allow you know us to invest it in, into our customers the entrepreneurs so you know it's sort of another constituent in the network that's really important because that capital fuels the whole system so you know we have a whole team that sells that right that we had to build That's sort of our investor relations and, and our capital formation team and that you can think of as more or less like our sales process internally today
0: what was the the process as far as generating applications or, or attracting the the marketing of TechStars to attract the best founders? Because I know that at this point in time, you've started to attract serial entrepreneurs, people who have been entrepreneurs, and some of them even successful exits, and they're still coming back and saying, "Hey, I want to run my co- my new company through TechStars." What was the what was the marketing? play initially, not, not so much on the investor side, but from the actual company perspective to continue to get them as you're starting to grow all around the world. But, but how did you get the best, the best company?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because we, you know, I, I don't know that I'd sit here and say that we get the best of the best companies, right? I mean, I think someone who who runs Andreessen Horowitz or, you know, Sequoia or founder group or Union Square is going to say, wait a minute, we get the best of the best we're not trying to win every deal. Um, we're looking for entrepreneurs that maybe are in some cases, underestimated, undiscovered. We certainly get plenty of, of second or third time entrepreneurs too, because they're attracted to the network, network of mentors, the network of alumni, the network of corporations, the network of investors that have invested in our companies. It's like, 15,000 different investors have invested wow. in a tech startup company. So we have a lot of relationships that we can bring to the table, but, you know, a, a big chunk of what we do is, is take risk on people that, that don't have exposure, don't have access to the venture capital market. I think it's really good for the, the startup community uh, because, you know, it, it tends to open up opportunities for you know, people from different backgrounds, different geographies, et cetera, and give them a chance, right? Because what we do is we fund them, we help them with their pitch, we get their first customers, and then we connect them to the broader venture capital market. So we're pretty proud of the fact that, you know, we're changing the landscape of the companies that are out there, uh, and giving more people an opportunity, not just necessarily looking for only people that have done this three times. But that, that works great too. And plenty of stories like that. The marketing is really not about us. It's about the portfolio. So when you open this show and you're rattling off 20 unicorns and we have those people on video saying, this is how I got my start. This was my first investor. They're like a co-founder. That's really the marketing is let the portfolio and the results speak for itself.
0: That's interesting. So your customers are your marketing. That's, I mean, you can look at it in, in really any company, not just in an investment business. It could be SaaS or product or whatever it is that if your customers are that happy or that successful with, using your product or service or whatever it is, they're gonna be your best marketing.
1: Sorry, right, Alex. I mean there's there's three thousand three hundred companies we've funded. Pretty much all of them, I think we still do this, have an email address founders at that domain. You probably remember that we made you yeah. have that. Yeah. My guess is you got emails to that address saying, hey, you know, how is Techstars? And and that, you know, we like to think of it as the goal being 100 percent uh, ref full, you know, referenceable customer base. They should, anyone should be able to email an, a new company, a, an LP, anyone, a corporation, a mentor should be able to email any company and say, what was your experience like? And we, you know, we're not perfect. We don't have hundred percent referenceability, but it's pretty high. You know, people would say we had a good experience. It was you know, helpful in these ways. And that is ultimately the marketing when you can walk into a room and say, yeah, just email any of them. Right. That's pretty powerful. That's interesting.
0: So let's, let's fast forward. Let's, let's speed this up the story. So you have your five, six initial cities outside of, of Boulder. You are starting to get some pull from not only specific entrepreneurs or VCs in some of the major cities, but you're also getting a pull from some of the companies themselves. And you talked about the different dynamics of that. What are some of the, the kind of the inflection points that you now kind of looking back that you're like, wow, we really, we, we nailed that or we kind of flubbed it for a year or two years or whatever it is, and then kind of turned it around.
1: Yeah. I think the big inflection points in the history of tech which is now 15 years old. Right. And, and, you know, when I think back on what were the big moments, right. I would say one was probably around 2009. The first time someone said, Hey, you should manage capital for us because you know these companies that are coming through your program. You should have a venture fund. You know, when we started, we didn't have We just had the money to invest initial, initially, our own money. And they said, you know, here, here's five, ten million bucks. Why don't you invest our money in these things that you know so well? Oh, okay. Duh, you know, there's an opportunity. There's a, So, you know, today that is our business, right? So that was the first big inflection point second was around probably 2012 when microsoft called and said you know we like what you're doing with this tech seattle thing some of us are mentors could we do it around connect could we do it around xbox could we do it around azure right cloud platform and that became a model for us to really scale capital because these large corporations, we ended up doing it with everyone from Amazon to Barclays bank, right? Uh, to Comcast, just go on ABC, all these big companies would eventually, you know, bring us on board to run accelerators focused on areas they were interested in. So that was a real driver of growth early on. And that growth built track record more and more companies going through the system that become these big companies and, and deliver good financial returns it also built a network of corporates that could help these small companies. So it was sort of this big network win, win, win that we developed. And, and, you know, I think over time, eventually we would learn to go institutional with the capital as I described earlier. So, you know, it's really capital and, and sort of, even with corporates, it was about the capital and about the, the network and relationships that are some of the biggest moments. And then of course, deciding to scale internationally that, that that's been a big challenge as well. But, You know, we believe great startups are created everywhere, and talent is equally distributed. So we just got to be where it is. That trend is very clear. So those are some of the big things I think. Yeah, those, those are. I would when when you think about kind of the
0: the beginning of of kind of scaling out tech stars, and you're going from you and you have Nicole, you have Brett. Obviously, you have you have the initial founding team. You have the the first initial MDS, and then all of a sudden you start to get branding. So I know like, for example, in, in Boulder, like Nicole became extremely popular and in New York Tish became extremely popular. And then all of a sudden there became a time that, and M- there, there would be MD turnover, right. Yep. For, for whatever it was. And there was almost kind of like a brand associated to tech stars in that spe- in that city tied to the MD. How did you handle, Kind of that turnover because i i would imagine that that you could lose a little bit of muster yeah. in, at that point
1: yeah you, you always want to keep great people but you know talent i believe talent should go do what it wants to do and it should be free to move about and you know i ended up investing in many of the funds that those people went on to create you know groups you know, alex Iskold and yeah. New york and jenny fielding and anna barber and i you know i can't name them all right so that created an opportunity to invest more in what they're doing it also created a bit of a mafia effect because they now have funds and they have an affinity towards tech stars, and they show up and they invest in those companies, and that helps too. But in those transitions, we were really fortunate to have really good people with with great character in most cases, and you know they would do a one year transition in a lot of cases, right? So people would say, "I want to leave in a year." And maybe in some cases they say, "I'm going to raise my own funds." Great, you know, why don't you you know sort of transition over a year? train the new person and you know what we've learned is that yes of course the managing director is really important and the people are really important but you know the playbook and the, and the brand are important too right and so people trust us to bring in somebody just as good or better so i think we're, we're continually up leveling the quality of those managing directors and, and we've been really fortunate that the people that came before them are conscious and good actors in the community and want to see a good transition so i think that's been really key also that's awesome. awesome.
0: When you look back and and you think about the whether it's the early days, mid, mid and kind of where you are today. Is there one or two things that you would look back and say, I do that a little bit differently?
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I think I probably would have invested much more heavily in three areas with the benefit of hindsight. And our, our CEO today, Geve, who's been with us for two years, is investing in all of these areas. <laughs> <laughs> but I wish I would have done them in, in year one. Um, technology, you know, I think there's there were so many opportunities to do more with software around the portfolio and helping them early on. Marketing, brand, you know, brand building. Like that was all very organic and sort of, you probably remember, pretty cheesy. Like I would run around with a, a GoPro on my head. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, I mean, stupid stuff like that. And we, we didn't take ourselves too seriously, but I think that's one of the things people liked early on. Yeah. But, you know, we really didn't, promote ourselves very well in the early days based on the stories that we had to tell. So so I think, you know, that was a big one. And I think capital formation, we we could have been investing much more, holding our ownership in, you know, stronger companies if we had invested more in relationships with the capital allocators early on. So today we do all those things much, much better. But man, if we would have sort of understood that in year one, I think we could be orders of magnitude more successful today.
0: So let's flip that around. Let's talk about some of the, the bets that you made that you got right. If you had, when you, when you look back and you say, Hey, I one, maybe two bets that you made that maybe you recommend to other types of founders who are kind of building a business, but what are, what are the one or two things that you were like, got that one, right? I'd do that one again.
1: Yeah, well, You know, when you, when you think about the, the, the classic advice, you know, team, 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 I mean, you know, just, just some of the bets on people that, that had the motivation, you know, I mentioned Nicole, other people like Jason seats. Yeah. Who really didn't have any experience in the thing, but had a lot of motivation, just kind of hiring for motivation. I'm a huge fan of that. I talked to all of our portfolio companies about that today. When you have somebody that's generally smart, skilled, and then they're motivated to do that thing, they'll learn how to do it. You know, things are learnable. I think we hire too much for experience and and known skills and don't take enough chances on people that that are just super motivated. So I think we did that pretty well. And a lot of our MDs that were our most successful MDs had never made an investment before when we hired them. I'd say most of them had never made an investment before. People like Katie Ray, right, running MIT Engine Fund, her, she started investing with tech stars. Right. And, and, and she's a superstar. Right. And I think motivation, she, she just clearly had it. She wanted to do this. She loved the entrepreneur. So I think that was a huge thing uh, that, that we did well and right. And I think we're still doing it. You know, I, two years ago, we hired our new CEO, Myel that I mentioned and, and Myel doesn't need to work. You know, she, she didn't want to work anymore, but she's so motivated to help entrepreneurs succeed. And she's so in love with the model that she basically unretired You know, she had taken companies public and and had all this success just because she loves it so much. And I feel that motivation every day. I just talked to her a couple hours ago from Dubai, it was midnight. She's still, you know, having her, having her calls at midnight. So it, it, the people make all the difference in the world ultimately.
0: David, this has been a blast. You're, you're a wealth of knowledge. I love the story. So many, so many more learning points that we can get from you. So we'll have to have you on again. Uh, some, some parting courses or books or places that, you recommend founders to, to check out other than do more faster that was written by you. So you can't name your own book. Yeah. Any, any other year. places outside of like go to tech stars, obviously go through the program. That is a 100% you should do that. I did it. It's fantastic. What do you recommend?
1: Yeah. I'm a big fan of just really broadening outside of all the normal stuff. And we have TechStars press. If you're looking at the video version, you see that above my head, there's a dozen books, you know, like startup boards, startup communities that, that Brad and others have written, you know, but I, I, am a huge fan of of reading about different things. You know, the classic one, things like Zen and, and the art of motorcycle maintenance, right? Like there's a lot to do with entrepreneurship in that book, but it's, it's nothing to do with entrepreneurship at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, I think I I read a lot about quantum physics, quantum mechanics. Uh, I read a lot about lifestyle, right? Intermittent fasting, things like that. I mean, being healthy, getting good sleep, books like why we sleep. There's, there's so many great books that I think help you be an entrepreneur because you're just a better person and your mind is expanded. So don't get stuck in just the entrepreneurship genre either.
0: Just the business books. I agree. I agree. I'm, I've expanded quite a bit and it, it helps the mind, helps the body. It's not just sales, product engineering. Let's go. I get it. Yeah. Get it. Awesome. David, well, thank thanks for so having much. me.
1: This is awesome. Great.
0: I appreciate the time. We'll have to have you on again.
1: It'd be awesome to do so. Hope it's useful to people listening. I appreciate it. Talk to you later.
0: That's it for this week's episode of From Start to Scale. Be sure to click that subscribe button and follow us so you don't miss our next episode. I'm Alex Newman. See you next time.